Um, guys, welcome to um, our breakfast this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. And for those of you who I haven't met before, my name is Gary Watkins. I'm one of the joint CEOs of the Quattro Group. Um, this morning, we're going to be doing a little presentation um, uh, between Quattro and Action Coach. Uh, we've worked for many years with Trevor from Action Coach, and he's going to give you some insight into your business and how to have some systemization in your business. And then afterwards, um, I'm going to be doing a little presentation with you just with regards to all the, the mandatory stuff that you have to do, the statutory stuff, and um, how to protect yourself um, in your business as a business owner. So welcome, I'd like to hand over to Trevor, and um, I'll see you guys shortly. Thank you. Is that working? Quick test on the sound, is that coming across? Hello? Can you guys hear? Okay, this is you on, you on? It is on. Okay, then the mic's just not close enough to your mouth. Is that a little bit better? Yeah. I'll speak up just in case. Is that okay? Can you hear? Good. Good to meet everybody this morning. Like Gary said, we've met a number of you and a couple of people that we're meeting for the first time. So thanks for making a gap and getting out here this morning. My name is Trevor Clark. I'm a, a, a certified business and executive coach. So what I do is I work with business owners, I work with entrepreneurs, I work with executives, helping people free up time, helping people make money and helping people build amazing teams. So we have a lot of fun doing what we do. And we have a great relationship with the Quattro Group over the years, referring a lot of our clients across. So those of you meeting Quattro for the first time, you're in very good hands. So listen to what the guys have to say. They know their stuff. But... Uh, a little bit of fun with this this morning. So what I'd like to talk about for a little bit is getting your business working so you don't have to be finding too many business owners are working far too hard and very often for far too little money. So I'd just like, out of interest, uh, just a show of hands, who in the room here actually owns their own business? It's about half, yeah, just over half the room, okay. Is there anybody that owns a business and wishes they did it? Because <laughs> that's the reality we find often in business. Yeah, we, we start a business with these great big ideas of this amazing life that we're gonna have. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna work for ourselves, which means we're gonna make a lot more money and we're gonna have a lot more free time. We're gonna have a lot more time surfing, we're gonna have a lot more time on the golf course. And what do we do? We leave a job, we start our own business, and one, two, three, four, five years later, we actually look at the bank balance and we say, wow. Uh, we were running a workshop a while ago for over, over 100 people in the room asked, I won't ask you guys the question now, but majority of the people in the room were business owners and asked the question, who's actually paying themselves more money now than they were getting paid when they actually had a job? And they ask yourself that question right now, is if you had to close down your business and go back and get a market-related salary for what you do, are you making more money now or not? Do you have more free time now or not? So that's what I'd like to talk about because it's a challenge we see when we do events like this. How many business owners that are keep you? It's always great to get out to an event like this, to get out to a golf day, to get out to your kids are having an event at school, right? And the kids want you there. But what do we have to say? Sorry, I'm needed at the office. Two of my guests that were joining us this morning sent me a message first thing this morning. Trevor, I'm so sorry, I can't make the breakfast. I've got a crisis at work. I'll show you it should be the opposite, right? If you own your own business, actually, I'm the owner of the business. Why am I the one that's uh, buried under a machine fixing it? Why am I the one that's driving to Newcastle to see an angry client to sort out an issue? I should be on the golf course and there should be team members doing that stuff. Would you agree? Easier said than done. <laughs> 
So what I'd like to do is just kind of share some of the ideas that you can work on. If you're in that sort of space that you're not getting the life that you'd like out of your business, what are those things that you can do to free up a little bit more time in your business? So just a quick introduction to our business. Um, our company is called Action Coach Business Coaching. I wish I could say it was my company. The company was founded 26 years ago by a guy called Brad Sugars in Australia. So we're actually an Australian franchise. And we're going 26 years, we're in over 80 countries around the world. Uh, Brad, who founded the company, uh, he got going back in those days. There was no such thing as business coaching. It was a new concept. Uh, but what he found he was very good at helping people make money and helping people build great businesses and came up with a system. Basically, a step-by-step -step approach that entrepreneurs and business owners could use to build better businesses. And what they've done is they've packaged that idea, they've packaged that process, and now we train coaches around the world to implement exactly these steps that I'll show you now. We have our training center in the United States, so anybody that's, that is certified as an action coach, business coach, would have gone through the same training. And it's a system that works. We work with, our, our clients range from plumbers to engineers to farmers to uh, to accountants, you name it, we change all sorts of industries because the steps of building a business are the same. The nuance of the different industries, you guys are the experts in your individual industry, so I'll never show you how to be a better plumber or how to be a better engineer. What I'll do with you is show you how to be a better business owner, how to the, the, the skill or the trade, let's call it, of entrepreneurship and building teams and making money. If I had to ask you very quickly, what is the definition of a successful business? What words come to mind? Profit. Profit. Ah, I like that. First prize. What else? Happiness. happiness. I like that. So profit, happiness. What else do we want out of a successful business? Well established, up and running, good. And one more. I like flexibility. So how about this as a, as a definition? A commercial, profitable business, a business that works. But imagine a business that works without you. So you see, it's not a definition of business, a definition of a successful business. And these are what we, and you can use this as a litmus test, <clears throat> excuse me, to see does your business fall in this framework. Commercial business, do you have a real business that's serving a real need? If you do a customer satisfaction survey, are your customers giving you a thumbs up or a smiley face and saying, we actually like what you guys do? Are we tracking the numbers? Do we have clarity on our margins and our figures and our revenue? If I asked you at, on the spot and said, what was your turnover last month? What was your gross profit margin? You know those numbers offhand. That's a commercial business that's up and running on a solid footing. You want to get that right first. On top of that, we've got to be profitable. And I'm glad that's the first answer. It's the first rule of business. We've got to be making money every, every month. Importantly works. Is this business properly systematized? Have we leveraged this business properly? That we have job descriptions, how-to manuals, organization charts, that everybody in the business knows clearly how to deliver our product or service consistently to market. And importantly, if we've got all those things in place, do we have good, highly qualified, trained team members that are going to now run that business for you to then free you up to do other things? So there's a couple of steps involved. It doesn't just happen automatically. It's up to the business owner to, to do the work to get these things in place. So I mentioned we have a system that we use that actually follows that same recipe. When we're coaching businesses, most of the business owners we work with, work with us on a one, two, maybe a three year um, relationship. We have some guys that just need us for a year or two. There's other people I've been working with for now five, six, seven years building multiple businesses. But there's a step-by-step -step process on how you build a business. 
like building a house, you start with the foundations. Make sure we've got the financial management place, goals in place, a business plan. We work on time management, delegation skills, and making sure we've got uh, your, your branding and your look and feel and your marketing message is consistent. We call that mastery. Once the foundations are in place, we start looking at what we call niche, which is our word for marketing and sales. Do we have a marketing machine that's bringing us new customers, keeping those customers, making those customers happy, and make those customers so happy that those customers keep coming back and refer more business onto us. We need to have a great marketing machine that does that. You see, we're stable, we free up cash. Now we want to talk, turn our attention to what we call leverage. And I use the word leverage, which is another way of saying where you do the work once, you get paid for it forever. And that's where we look at your systems. We want to make sure we have robust systems to grow this business. And that's what I'd like to focus on this morning with you and give you some ideas in that area. Because once we have our systems in place, now we can go look at hiring new team members and growing the team and building the team and getting more out of our existing team. And you see how important the sequence is. And you see the byproduct as well as happiness. That's not just a word I chose, chose at random. There's businesses that you've been where you walk in the door and there's just a good feel, there's a good vibe. That generally means that these areas in place, the foundations below it are in place. They're stable, there's a marketing machine, we're making money, which means people are paying their, being paid their market-related salary. There's systems in place, reporting structures, so people know for themselves if they're doing a good job or not. So that's where, too often we do the cart before the horse, right? There's a business in chaos, and what do people do? We go and hire a new team member. So we haven't got this stuff right, and we put staff here, whereas we need to get this stuff right first, then we bring on the team members, or work on more with the existing team. And synergy, this is a lovely point that some businesses get to, the lucky few. Synergy is where you wake up one day and you think, man, the weather is good, I'm going to go surfing or play golf. Or the opposite, the weather's bad, I'm going to stay in bed and watch Netflix. And you send a WhatsApp to the office and you say, you're not going to see me for two days. But you can do that guilt-free. And you know that your customers are going to be well-served, you're going to be profitable. Is anybody in that place already? Yes, you see what I mean, the lucky few. <laughs> All right. And ideally, some people get to the point of results. Results is where you never have to be there. You pop into the office one day and the lady at reception looks up to you and says, hello, ma'am, hello, sir, how can I help you? And she doesn't even know that you own the business. If you've got that right, you've really done something right. A profitable business that works without you. You should be bottling that secret sauce. And at the point there, that's where you should be looking at multiple operations, opening branches in other territories, possibly franchising the business, possibly building business number two, business number three, business number four. Because <clears throat> when we get to this place, this is a great time to put a general manager in place to run the business. And it might be a heavyweight general manager that might come at quite a package, or it might be promoting somebody up, a junior person within the team to run the systems for you. So is that okay? That's the framework that I'd like to talk around. And Gary and I have been doing these talks for a little while ago. We've done a couple over Zoom and uh, last month we were together face to face where we were talking around the different areas. So a few months ago, I covered a lot of the principles on the foundations. Uh, last month I was walking around, uh, talking around marketing and sales. Uh, today I want to talk around the systematization. If you want to recap any of the stuff we covered before, uh, Rox, it is on the YouTube channels, isn't it? So. Ask Roxanne for details, you can find it on YouTube, the previous stuff that Gary covered as well. But this is the challenge, right? We find business owners, we start with a job, working for somebody else. Like I mentioned, we think it's going to be so amazing working for ourselves. And one or two or three years later, people own not a business, we own a job. And that's the definition of a job, right? 
That's why what you really challenge yourself today, look at your business, whether you're a two key name business or whether you've got 100 or two, 300 staff, the, the, the mechanics behind it is the same. The work I do with my clients, regardless of their size, business is business. Just the number of zeros change. You want to challenge this. So have you sat down and really thought about your business and decided what do you want out of this business? Just like when you sit with Gary and Brett's team and sit with your financial advisor and get asked those awkward questions, right? When do you want to retire? What age do you want to retire? How much money do you want to be earning per month to fund your retirement? We need to be consciously asking ourselves those questions. Are you asking those same questions of your business? When do I, do I, am I building it to sell? If I'm wanting to sell it, what price do I want to sell it for? If we know what price you want to sell your business for by what date, then we have a profit a turnover and a profit target we can calculate to see how profitable your business can be. Because I find it heartbreaking. Often people knock on my door saying they want some help. They'd like to sell the business. I say, okay, great. So we bring in a team and maybe business brokers, financial advisors, uh, accountants. What would you like to sell the business for? Give me another 10 million rand. So well, where did you come up with that number? Well, it feels like the right number. <laughs> and Dave, you'll see this a lot, right? You know, and when you do a valuation of the business, the business is maybe worth 1 million rand or so. Because we haven't, and, and people have spent 5, 10, 20, 30 years building that business, but without really getting clear on what we need to do with that. So do a little bit of thinking, and if you need some help in that space, we'll help you set those goals in terms of working out what your desired sale value should be to make it worth the effort, because it's just as hard building a successful business as, as building an unsuccessful business. So let's do the work now to make it easier a little bit later. But what I really just want to talk about for five or 10 minutes is this area of leverage. We, we work in the entrepreneurial space. Business owners and entrepreneurs are notoriously optimistic. Would you agree? It'll be fine. We'll make more money. We'll, we've got a cash flow problem. Let's not sit with our accountant. We'll just work a little bit harder and the cash flow will take it. There's, a perform, there's an employee not working. Oh, no, we'll give them another chance. We'll give them another chance. Uh, we keep getting a fall down on a certain product and we keep getting complaints on a certain product or procedure. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll take care of ourselves because I'm too busy doing other things. Well, sometimes the business owner is too busy on the tools to do the top level stuff and improve the systems inside the business. I even see a lot of business owners in the small, medium sized business space that used to work for big corporates. People that used to manage teams of over a thousand people and highly, highly systemized corporates. But then those same people will start their own business and not put systems in place. Because a lot of people hate systems. Entrepreneurs generally don't like systems. <laughs> Entrepreneurs generally don't need systems because they like to play in that space of, you know, like cats running around at night and new ideas and new, if there's a problem, we jump in and fix it. But forgetting that the team working for you need those systems in place. So whether you like systems or not, if you want to get your business to grow to here to the next level, it's critical we get systems in place. Otherwise, it's all going to fall apart. So some of you might already be doing quite well in this space. And I'll just give you a couple of ideas that you might, might just identify some areas that need fine tuning. Other people, you might realize that there's a fair bit of work to do and it might mean that we need to roll up our sleeves for the next year or so, get some solid systems in place, which means even if we're crazy busy now, we can start getting to the golf course, maybe middle or towards the end of 2021. So I'll give you some ideas in that space, but we've got to do the work here in leverage to leverage ourselves out of the business. Because without systems, nobody in the business is going to know what to do. Every business I've met, there's usually a systems manual. Does it look like that though? 
the systems manual is usually sitting between the two ears of the business owner. The business owner doesn't need a system. He or she has been doing the job and running the business for 5, 20, 50 years. You don't need a system if you've been doing something for that long. But then you hire a staff member that's brand new in the industry or a staff member that's only been going for one or two years. They don't have your knowledge, your experience, your, your network, the, the instinct, the muscle memory that you have because you've been doing it for over 10,000 hours. So what we need to do is we find generally in most businesses, the systems are everywhere. Uh, some, some systems are in the owner's head, some are maybe in the finance manager's head, there's other ideas in the ops guy's head. Some things are on file, some things are on one laptop, some things are on an old server from five years ago. We need to get all the stuff together and get it in one place. So your staff know where to go if they need to run the business when you're not there. So the first thing, do you have a company vision? And not the boring brass plot, blah, blah, that a lot of businesses have. I often ask a business owner, say, what is your, do you have a vision statement for your business? And the business owner will say, yes, I do. I say, what is it? I think most people can tell me. Very seldom. Well, so there is, it's on the website somewhere. We go to the website. We said, yeah, the web designer actually wrote something two years ago when we built our website, right? This meaningless blah, blah, vanilla. We need to do the work and say, what is your actual vision? Are your personal vision? And what is your company vision? Why do you get out of bed every morning? Have you defined that? This is our vision for Action Coach Business Coaching, World Abundance Through Business Re-Education. Brad Sugars, who founded the business 26 years ago, he drafted that, that vision statement on the West Coast of Australia. And that's still our vision statement today. When I discovered this vision statement, when I discovered Action Coach, it was the vision that appealed to me first 11 years ago. I loved what I saw in this business. And we live and breathe this. We believe in abundance. There's enough money out there for everybody. There's enough customers out there for everybody. They're very successful businesses and very successful lives. But why do businesses not achieve their potential? It's very often business education. It's not about the school that people went to. It's about do they have the business skills? We find our clients are always upskilling themselves in their trade, becoming better plumbers, becoming better accountants, becoming better engineers. But are you spending the time to learn the trade of entrepreneurship, of how to build a team, of how to manage cash flow, or how to do a build a marketing plan? And that's what we find. We help people with business education. And as they grow themselves, the businesses grow. So what is your company vision? Have you documented? Do you know, do you speak it regularly? Do you hold your, your, your team accountable to that vision? A great way of describing a vision statement and Steve Jobs of Apple, he used to always put it so well, he would say, what is the dent you want to make on the universe? What is the impact that your business is having either globally, nationally, in your local community level, whatever it might be, what is the impact of the work that you do? Most people here know Elon Musk. I don't have to give his background, but South African boy done well, right? Sold, uh, sold PayPal for, I forget the figure. 3.2 billion. 3.2 About 10, 12 years ago, he sold PayPal. So 3.2 billion, what did most of us do? Put that cash, ask Gary to invest that nicely for us, and we'd go play a lot of golf. What did he do? He reinvested all of it into his next business, building electric cars. It was sleeping on a friend's cash. Oh, really? I don't think it cost 3.2 billion though. But the idea, Elon Musk, does anybody know what his personal vision statement is? His personal vision, the legacy that he wants to make in the world. Inhabit Mars. 
inhabit Mars, but remember, inhabit Mars is a strategy towards his vision. And if it, this is his uh, biography, I read it a year or so ago. If you haven't read this book, it is brilliant. Talking about what he's done. But his personal vision is to preserve the future of humanity. That's pretty big, right? He believes that human beings are, excuse me, buggering up this planet. Greenhouse gases, carbon, uh, global warming, all that kind of stuff. So he believes at some point this planet's going to give up and collapse and um, we're all going to die. But obviously that's why he's now investing in solar power, electric vehicles, battery storage systems, all this kind of stuff to make the planet more environmentally friendly, to hopefully turn that curve. And he gives away his patents for free to his competition. They share everything they learn, they give, they, they give it out because they want to know collectively they want to grow together as an industry. So that's what he's doing in that space to preserve the planet. But he knows that even if we win the battle of the greenhouse gases, we could still face an extinction event. A meteor could hit us or an asteroid or a comet could hit the Earth. And that's happened many times in the last couple of million years, right? So at any moment, maybe tomorrow, maybe in a thousand years time, I don't want to scare you, we could get hit by an asteroid, planet dies, human beings are gone. So that's why his other strategy is to colonize Mars and get a couple of breeding couples in Mars to know that even if Earth is gone, I'll go as long as I can have sex. <laughs> I think it's on the brochure. <laughs> and that's his other strategy. So even if this planet is doomed, then human beings can expand from there and become a multi uh, an interplanetary species. That's a pretty big vision, right? So when he is recruiting for new staff, do you think he battles to find team members or is there a queue out the door of people lining up to be a part of that vision? There's people that work for him for free because they just want to be a part of that. But imagine the opposite, where we see a business owner that's interviewing potential staff to join the team and the candidate says, what's your, what's your vision? And the owner of the business says, I want to make lots of money and retire in three weeks time and do, sit on the beach and do nothing. How many people are going to jump up and say, yay, let me make you rich. What is the impact that that business, that long-term vision that can actually, that can live beyond us, that the business can outlive us, so that other people want to pick up when we, when we want to retire, when we want to sell the business, other people can pick it up. Stop, uh, stop management buyouts, things like that. But other people say, I'd like to help you get to that vision. You're going to find a lot higher caliber people. So it could be that great big goal like that, or your vision could just be, what is the impact you make on the local industry? Your vision could simply to be the very best, whatever your industry is, the very best plumbing in business in KwaZulu-Natal or in Pantown or in wherever it might be. So be very clear on that vision because a good vision will enroll. It'll get the right people joining your team. It'll get your customers excited to do business with you. And a good vision will also inspire people to come to work even when they're having a bad day. That's why sports teams achieve so much more. They've got that vision of winning the World Cup or um, coming first in their division or whatever it is. It's the vision they talk about all the time, the goals. And that's what gets people to put on their running shoes and come and train even when it's raining. So do you have that vision in your business that's going to galvanize people and do you talk about it and bring it to life? If you need help with that stuff, give us a shout. Do you have a mission statement? So now our vision is where we're going. Do you have a mission statement that clearly explains who are we? What are the kind of team members we want to hire? What, um, what is our business? What are the products and services that we offer and plan to offer over time? We want to say who are the kind of customers that we want to deal with. Have we documented that? What counts as a good customer and what's a customer we'd rather not waste our time with? 
And then importantly, what makes us different? What makes us unique, different, special, better? We need to document that. What is our secret sauce? Because this is a challenge for a lot of businesses growing. A great book on this is a guy called Vern Harnish, wrote a book called Scaling Up. Talking about how $1 million businesses can get to $10 million, but it's so hard to then become a, from a $10 million business to $100 million, et cetera. And one of the key issues stopping businesses grow is as you grow, you lose culture. And culture gets lost over time because you've got the original team that set up the business. Um, if you visited the culture, the, the Quattro head office, you'll see the big board up in the parking lot of the founding members of the team. Now, every business has evolved like this. The original core that set up the business. Now, as we grow, expand, there's new people coming on board with new memories that weren't part of the, the olden days and the old vibe. And as the business grows, we open a new branch. Suddenly, culture can get diluted. So you want to document what is the culture inside your business, your mission. We need to get it in writing so we can now start expanding it as we start opening multiple offices. The values, the core values of the business, have you documented it? An easy way of going through the process is identify what are the values that are important to me? You get to pick three. What are values important to the success of your, success of your business? Maybe uh, ask your accountant or <laughs> what should those three values be? Ask your customers, what are the top three values for them? And then obviously your team, what are the top three values? There's already 12 points of cultural values that you could be incorporating into your values statement. Do you know what company that is? <laughs> that is their vision or values, <laughs> culture statement. Don't be evil. They've been called out on it quite a lot. Actually, if you Google it quite recently, they've done a couple of things that are contrary to their values. So it takes a bit of guts to actually get out there and put it, put it down in writing. And you've got smart goals, clear goals that you're tracking against. Documented, does everybody know the goals? Or they're just in one or two people's head inside the organization. Do you have an organization chart? Documented, update on the walls. So everybody knows who reports to who and who's responsible for what. Every time there's a change, is the organization job doc documented and published to the team? Does everybody in the business? And you see, I use the word positional contract, not job description. More than just a job description, are we clear on what's expected of each person? What are the kind of attributes? Do you want a big picture thinker? Do you want a small picture thinker? Are you testing for this stuff when you recruit? Clear, clear job description for everybody on the team. Have you got clear KPIs that each person reports to? What are the three measures of success? So each person can get a dashboard every month with green ticks that they know they're on track or behind and they can start measure, measuring themselves. How to manuals, have you documented your way of doing things? We can say to team members, I don't care how you did this in your old organization. When you work with us, this is our way of doing it. And where do they go to get that? So that's again, I come back to your systems files. Do you have good old fashioned ring binders where it's on a shelf somewhere? So instead of somebody phoning you and interrupting your holiday and saying, hey boss, I don't know how to do X or Y, there's somewhere they could go. It used to be like this. Or do we have it in a system somewhere? So here's a quick summary of the stuff I've covered. We'll send you some stuff on it. If anybody's interested, reach out to Roxanne. But there's a whole process we take people through around it. And just a little checklist. And I hope you can use that to look at your own business and say, where am I doing well? And which of the areas can I start brushing up on? Often you can find these areas in all sorts of different places, but we need to get it into one place. But here's the rule of thumb. Anytime you do something yourself, you don't write it down, you're always going to be doing it again yourself. We need to have somewhere where your team members can go 
is it a document, is it, a, is it an app, is it a video they can watch to learn? This is the proper way of doing it. Otherwise, it's going to come back and bite us again, again, again. So I hope that's been useful. You've got some ideas that you can use inside the business. Sometimes we know we need to do this, and if we go and do it. Other times we don't do it, and we need somebody to give us a push and a prompt and a guide around it. Trying to do it on your own is a lot, a lot harder. So we're available for you if anybody needs us in this space. We, we coach people through this stuff all the time, helping people step by step, because there's tools, templates, guidelines on getting this done. But trust me, the results that happen once you put the work in and you have this business documented, the results are going to be, and that's why I like to use the word leverage. We do the one, the work, and we can now gradually start to leverage ourselves out of the business. So give me a shout, Roxanne will give you our details at the end of the session. We have a standard offer for anybody any of, anybody here today. If you'd like a free coaching session, we'll spend an hour and a half with you. There's a whole process we'll help you go through to kind of self-assess your business and see what's working, what's not working, help you identify the areas of opportunity in the business. At the same time, it's a nice opportunity to get to know you. You might um, have skills and services we should be offering our clients, but also you might be interested in knowing some of the different ways that we work with business owners. There's lots of different styles of coaching, different things for different people. So if you're keen on sitting down, give us a shout. But I'd like to leave you that with a sort of parting, parting thought. We look, at, we, we, we look at the stats in our industry in South Africa, less than 5% of business owners actually engage a business coach. We still very, I've been there for 11 years now in this business. I'm one of the graybeards of coaching in South Africa. We're doing great stuff with our clients. But if we compare South Africa to the Australian market, for instance, adoption of business coaching in Australia, where it's a much more mature market, is 50, 60, 70% of business owners. You ask a, uh, an Australian entrepreneur, say, do you have a business coach? You're going to get an answer along the lines of, well, of course, why would I be in business without a coach? Because I have a coach coaching me on my health, on my sports, on my gym, at, and the top guys get better and better coaches. How could I be in business without a business coach? If I asked a lot of you today, probably hadn't even heard of business coaching. That's where we're at in South Africa. It's still a very early stage. You ask somebody, have you got a business coach? Often people still say, what is that? People don't know that we have coaching as an option for small, medium-sized business owners. So sit down. If you think you can do a lot more out of your business, it would be great to sit down with you and learn a little bit more. But all I could say is just don't do nothing. Take some of these ideas away. Implement them and reach out for help if you need it. But that's all I have from you. We'll do a Q&A a little bit later with Gary. So if anybody's got any specific questions, jot them down and we'll chat a bit later if you're keen. But thanks for your time and I hope that's been useful. I'll pass you back to Gary. Thank you. You're sharing Mark's COVID. <laughs> So, Bart, you kissed me earlier. I mean, I can't get any Guys, thank you very much. Trevor, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think one of the big takeaways as well is um, around uh, coaching and stuff is that so many sportsmen in the world practice their craft all the time. Yet, when we're in business, we often don't think we need to practice our craft. And um, if you don't, you're going to be destined for failure. And I think also just on your slide as well, Trev, um, biggest risk. That you can do is, is do nothing. A lot of people think about choices in life, you know, like in our industry, picking up the telephone and phoning a new client um, is a choice that I make. And if I don't do that, I actually am doing something else. I'm actually not phoning, which is also a conscious decision. And each decision that you make in your business has a consequence and a benefit. 
So every decision that you make in your life, just think about what the consequences of making the decision and what the benefit could be of making the decision. But never ever think that you're not making a choice because you always are. All right, so I want to quickly play you a little video clip just introducing uh, the Quattro group um, and then we'll get on to the presentation. Right, so guys, basically, how Quattro fit into people's lives, I think, is very, very important. We aren't your normal corner backslapping broker who sits at the coffee table at six o'clock at night while the kids are running around trying to sell you an education plan for your child. We actually corporate specialists. We deal with high net worth individuals and entrepreneurs. That's our main focus. We have financial strategists that work in the organisation. Most of the guys that invited you today are the financial strategists. And what they do is they sit and collate a whole lot of information all around you, your family, your life, your expectations, your goals, 
your aspirations, your fears, your business. They collate a whole lot of information together and then they start working through your entire structure piece by piece, literally from the ground up to make sure that every single aspect of your life and your business has been well thought through and planned for, that nothing is done in isolation. In other words, your accountant does your books, your lawyer does your legal documentation, and then you generally run your business and you try and run your own personal financial affairs. But no one ever sits down together in a room and actually starts to assimilate all this information and see if there's any conflict between what you're doing and what you think is actually in your mind. Also, a lot of people don't know what's out there in the big world. They don't know everything. What we've encountered over time is that business people might have a skill or an opportunity to be in business, but they're not necessarily the smartest people in the room. They need to surround themselves with specialists who are experts in areas that they have deficiency. If you take that Richard Branson type personality, you've got a man who's dyslexic, very entrepreneurial, a visionary. He sees things, he sees opportunity, he meets people, and he puts opportunity and people together and creates business. But he's not an accountant. He's not a lawyer. But what he does do is he sits with people who are. In a meeting, he meets you, greets you, listens to your business idea, and says, I've got a gut feel for this. This is great. My people are going to be deployed, and they're going to go and do a full DD on your business and this idea and do cash flow forecasts and all the bits and pieces. And they're going to come back to me. And they sit back down with Richard and say, Richard, it's a good business, good idea. Cash flow forecasts work. Business has got a good balance sheet. I think it's a go. Richard then comes to the meeting and says, Bob, thank you very much for your time. It's been fantastic meeting you. We're in business. My people will speak to your people and all be ducks. And that's kind of like where we are in business. We're not Richard Branson's by any means, but we are in business. We do have opportunity and we need these things. So what Quattro does, and you'll see Action Coach coming in here as well, is literally take you from the foundation stage of your business right the way through building your first story, your second story, up to a point where you've actually completed your building, you've completed your house. The problem is most people never, ever, ever start with their foundations when it comes to their business, which is archaic. If you just think of the irony of it, how many people go into business with a handshake? Yes, I think it's a good idea. Let's shake hands. Let's pay some money. And then years later, we'll get to the agreements, we'll get to all the stuff that's important later. And then suddenly there's a bust up and there's a, a, a breakdown in the relationship. And all of a sudden, these people are scratching their heads now going, what do we do? And the only thing we do is refer back to the business manual. And there is no business manual. It's non-existent. The people never bother doing it. So we're going to go through a few little things with you this morning just to give you some insights as to some of the problem areas that you should be addressing in your life and how to build for this. Trevor mentioned earlier about uh, retirement. A lot of people we consult with use their business as part, of, uh, as part of their retirement plan, but they don't even know if their business is saleable to start with. They've never actually contemplated it. You know, is the business built around you and your acumen? Or is the business actually something that can continue without you being there? 
have you built the business to a point where you become irrelevant? Because if you've built your business to a point where you've become irrelevant, then you have a saleable business. But if you haven't, and you have to be relevant, you don't have a business that you can sell. You've got a business that you've got to continue working in. So those are some of the little steps we're going to go through along the way. All right, just in terms of our company setup, I think what's very important to understand is that you might be dealing with a financial strategist. Let's take Roland as an example. He's your financial strategist. He's a specialist in a certain area, but he's not a specialist in all the areas. What we do is we want to be specialists. We, want, we don't want to be generalists and jack of all trades. We want to master one. So if you look at Roland, he is a, a specialist in a specific area. Russell Hart, a specialist in a specific area. But we've got specialists in other areas that we'll bring to the table when you need us. For example, our accounting division, where we do BR for businesses, financial director services. We have legal services, where we have attorneys that will sit in and handle the legal stuff. We have financial planners. We have investment specialists. We have medical specialists. A whole group of specialists. We have eight financial services companies, all specializing in different aspects of financial services, not one company. Those are the companies there. There's actually nine, but the one isn't a financial services company, which is Vara. That's the anonymous reporting app. So you're not dealing with one company, you're dealing with eight, and you're not dealing with one generalist, you're dealing with specialists. All right, so what does an entrepreneur look like? An entrepreneur has got what we call the X factor. Okay, It's that little, that I'm starting my business, taking the risk kind of appetite. And they display a whole lot of different qualities, honesty, passion, patience, creativity, all these bits and pieces. But what they lack is the outer circle parts, which is legal expertise, or accounting and tax expertise, or wealth management, or a financial strategist. And this is where we fit into your life. We literally walk alongside you as a business owner. Your job is to go and create wealth and build your business. Our job is to sweep behind you, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's to make sure that every risk that you're exposed to is identified and mitigated. Every bit of money that you make, that you have, is not spent back into your business. So many entrepreneurs we speak to say, I get my best return from my business. So I put all my money into my business. If I said to you, give me all of your wealth, and I'm going to go and buy one share on the stock exchange, would you honestly do that? No one does it. Then why on God's earth would you do it in your own business? Your business is a share. You own 100% of your business, so you've got one share, all of them, in one business, and you're going to stick all your money into that share, and you're not even a listed company. You have no depth and you have no market to sell to. At least with a listed share, there's an open uh, trade. There are buyers and sellers on that stock exchange. Your private company, you can't just go and sell it like you can a listed stock. So your private business is the riskiest stock on your stock market to invest in if you put all your money into it. So you need a financial strategist and a wealth manager to be able to say to you, hold the boat. Put money into your business, but let's take some of the money out the business and let's ring fence it and protect it as a wealth creation tool to give you diversity, to give you diversification, 
to manage that risk. All right, when you start a business, I saw a raise of hands of a lot of people who already own a business, but generally speaking, when, a, when someone wants to start a business, they need to choose the right vehicle that, uh, uh, to start the business in. It could be a partnership, it could be a sole proprietor, it might be a company or a CC, it could be a trading trust, many different options that you as an entrepreneur have in order to run your business or, or, or run the business through. What does it look like? If you really have a business, it's also important to understand what vehicle you've chosen and to see if it's appropriate. And then there's a whole lot of considerations that you need to apply with your business vehicle. The other thing you've got to do is define the parameters of the relationship with your partners. This is crucial. This is kind of like the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Thou shalt not steal, otherwise I will murder you with a rock. Okay? <laughs> You need an agreement between partners. You cannot believe the number of businesses we consult with on a weekly basis who have no agreements whatsoever. We're dealing with one right now where 66% shareholders, two of them, are wanting to exit the business and there's a 33% shareholder who wants to remain and they're trying to do a deal to purchase the 66% the, the guys want to sell and the 33% guy wants to stay. And they have no agreement in place. So now, uh, how do we do this? Is it a boxing match? You know, how does this person exit? Can they retire? Can they sell? If they sell, who do they sell to? All of these things need to be discussed, but we'll go through a few more of them now. But they, 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 they take the form of an association agreement, if you're in a CC, or a shareholders agreement, if you're in a company, and if you're in a partnership, a partnership agreement. But it's something that you physically got to attend to. You've got to sit down with an attorney and you've got to draft the agreement. You can't go to the CNA and buy one off the shelf or ask your mate if you can photostat his one and just stick your ID number in. It's got to be drafted specifically for you, your business, and the relationship with your shareholders. Okay. And then the third one is ensure sustainability through effective risk, risk management. This is where it comes down to things like I've borrowed money in the business and I've taken finance with the bank and I've signed a surety. Another risk management uh, philosophy would be something along the lines of death. We all are going to die. Remember Elon Musk's got this big flipping rock that's flying from the, the sky to come and hit the earth. We're all going to die one day. We don't know when. But we know we'll die. When we die, what happens to your business? What happens to your shares? When you start a business, you take on a responsibility, not just for you, but also for all your employees. And what's very important for you is to make sure that there's a business continuity plan put in place so that when you do die, this business can still continue to run and your employees can still get a salary at the end of the month. All right, so these are some of the strategies that we look at when you, you are, uh, are starting a business. So let's start with the bottom left. So tax and administration and costs. What vehicle is most appropriate for your um, uh, uh, business? If you're a sole proprietor, you would pay tax at your normal rates of tax, okay, as a natural person. If you're in a company or a CC, you would pay companies tax rates at 28%. If you were in a trading trust, you'd be paying tax at 45%. So you need to consider these things. 
the number of partners that you have. If you have more than 10 partners, you can't be in a CC because a CC is limited to a maximum of 10 members. So you, then you'd need a company. If you've got a business in place and you would like to have a black empowerment partner and you want to form this company and you don't want to sell your shares to the black empowerment group because you're going to be paying capital gains tax, you might need to issue shares in your business. Then you need a company to do that where you can issue more shares and the black empowerment partner can take the issued shares and then your agreements need to be tied up so that everything matches and that there's safety and security in that transaction. Personal exposure and security. People are, might be in business and the business might um, uh, uh, pose extreme risk, might be a very high risk business. And you say, well, I need to protect my assets that I have in my name. So then we need to look at things like trusts, where your personal assets are held in trust and the business is in your name or vice versa. You put the business into a trust and you keep your personal assets in your name. If the business goes belly up, the assets are protected. Different risk mitigation things that you can consider. Financing in the business. Another very important thing. How often we have seen people who are in business together, 50-50. Russell and I own a business. We 50-50 in the business. The business needs money. It needs a million rands worth of capital injection in order to advance it. I go to Russell and I say, Russell, we need a million bucks. I need 500,000 from you and 500,000 from me. And he says, I don't have the money. What do we do? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with it when your partner doesn't put the money in? Maybe your partner has got the money, but just doesn't feel like putting it in. What do you do? Does the business now get inhibited and can't grow anymore? This needs to be dealt with in your agreements so that there's a benefit for the financing partner and there's a consequence for the one that doesn't finance. Does the financing partner acquire additional shares? Do they get preferential interest rates on the money that they put into the business? How are you dealing with this? If you're financing uh, money from the bank, you go to the bank for a loan. The bank make you sign a surety document. That surety document binds you personally to the debt that the business holds. How, do you deal, how are you dealing with this? Continuity and succession plan. When you or your partner die, what happens to those shares? They're going to be dealt with if you die today, the shares in your business go into your estate. The executor who winds up your estate has to deal with them. What does your agreement say? Does your agreement allow you to bequeath your shares in your will? You may have written in the will, when I die, everything goes to my wife. But if my wife's predeceased me, everything goes to the SPCA. And you and your wife are driving in the car, you have a car crash, and you both die at the same time. And the SPCA suddenly inherits your shares in the business. And your business partner has now got the SPCA as his new business partner. Okay? Or your minor children. You leave the, the, your estate to your kids, and your agreement allows for those shares. Suddenly, you've got an eight-year-old who owns shares in a company. Can you imagine the nightmare? Imagine you having to go have a board meeting with an eight-year-old. Okay, my boy. What do we do? So we play um, finance, the payroll at the end of the month. What are you going to do? 
when the eight-year-olds called to pay the 500,000 rand that you need for capex in the business, where's he going to get the money from? Pocket money? You have to contemplate these things. In a business, these are some of the agreements that you would come, come across. If you're in a company, you have what they call a memorandum of incorporation, which is the top left-hand corner. That is your founding statement for your business. It's the, and every business has one. It's got a found, when you open a, a company up, it has a memorandum of incorporation. But it's a standard document that just gets issued. It pretty much emulates the Companies Act. It protects minority shareholders and there's very little protection or warmth for any of the shareholders when it comes to things like preemptive rights, as an example, which I'll get onto. Does, do any of you know what preemptive rights is, by the way, as a show of hands? Preemptive rights. Okay, we've got two people who know what preemptive rights are. So let me explain preemptive rights quickly. It's very important that you know this. Preemptive rights means if you're my business partner and I want to dispose of my shares, I have to offer them to you first if we have preemptive rights. So in other words, it protects you from getting a new partner. In the absence of preemptive rights, it means I don't have to tell you, Jack, I can just go along and sell my shares to a competitor and you suddenly are in business with a competitor. So if we have an argument and I just get disgruntled, I just go to our competitor and say, listen, actually, I just want out. Give me my 5 million rand for the shares and you can have the business. I'll sign them over. A competitor now has got 50% shares in the business with you as the remaining partner. Plus, they're the competitor. So they have a competitive product and they've got access to all the financials, all your clients, all your staff, and all your systems. What's stopping them now? Just stealing the whole other 50% away and building their business better. So you, if you don't have preemptive rights, you better get them fast. Now, in an MOI, if you have not sat down with somebody and actually drafted it, then you will not have preemptive rights as you sit here in the room today. An MOI only has preemptive rights dealt with if that company issues new shares, those new shares that have been issued will have preemptive rights. But the shares that are already an issue, there's no preemptive rights. Which means today, if your partner dies or you die, you could bequeath or inherit a new partner, and you could probably sell your shares to a competitor today. Very, very important. Once this memorandum of incorporation has been dealt with, you then want to deal with a shareholders agreement. Now, a shareholders agreement has to be done as well. A lot of people try and put everything into their memorandum of incorporation, and we advise strongly against that. And the reason being is, a memorandum of incorporation is a public document. I can go and get that document from CRCP today. I can go get it right now, and I can see everything. Now, if you put everything in there, the valuation of your business's shares, I can see how you value your business shares. I can see how your directors and how your shareholders are con uh, are, uh, have to conduct themselves. I can see when meetings get called, 
what a quorum is, what the voting rights are. I've got access to everything. And there's a lot of that stuff that you don't want the public to know. You want to keep that to yourself and your partner. So those documents or those details are detailed in a document called a shareholders agreement, which is a private document. You just put the main stuff in the MOI, the statutory stuff, and then you deal with the private stuff in your shareholders agreement. Then you've got a founding statement if you've got a close corporation, and then your private document would be an association agreement. And in, in your partnership, you don't need any founding statement, but you want to conduct your partnership in the right manner and have some rules and regulations, you'd have a partnership agreement. Now, when you form a company or a CC, you only get the memorandum if it's a company and the founding statement if it's a close corporation. It doesn't come with a shareholders agreement or an association agreement. That is something that you've got to mandate someone to draft for you, specifically draft for you. And you bring these agreements out when there is disagreement. When there's a fight, when there's a problem, when there's something that needs to be resolved, that is contained in these agreements. An example of a memorandum of incorporation, this is just a, a little screenshot of what a memorandum of incorporation is. And the standard one is your CRR 15.1A. It's a standard document. If you've got that one, you need to get it revisited. The one thing that we offer you all, like what Trevor has done with that one and a half hour free consult, every single one of you are allowed to bring all of your documents to us. We'll read through all of them for you, and we will show you what you need to get fixed and what you don't for free. There's absolutely no obligation and no payments to get it done. Now, it might sound like people say, there's nothing in life for free. I need to explain to you that there is. And the reason being is, is that if you have not sorted out this stuff, we actually can't do our jobs properly. Because in law, if your memorandum of incorporation reads in a certain way, and your shareholders' agreements conflict in any way, the memorandum of incorporation will take precedence. Now, if you're not reading the memorandum of incorporation and you're drafting shareholder agreements and buy and sell agreements and everything else, we may have done a fantastic job at the top thinking we've sorted all your stuff out, but if that other document conflicts, we may as well tear up every bit of information and documentation that we've drafted. It means nothing. We have to start with your foundation. And that's why we'll do it for free. Because we actually can't do anything until that is done. Or let me rephrase that. We can't do anything properly until that is done. Here's a conflict that you would normally find in like a memorandum of incorporation, which is really just your, your um, uh, preemptive rights. It's written in. Preemptive rights is written into the in this particular MRI, it's written in. If your shareholders agreement is different, this will take precedence. If there's no preemptive rights in here and there isn't your shareholders agreement, this will take precedence. So you can't go and draft this fancy agreement, spend 150,000 with Shepston and Wiley and think it's cool if this has not been changed. We've just seen a business right now, probably three weeks ago, where the memorandum of incorporation states 
that the only class of shares is ordinary shares. The guys have gone and merged a whole lot of businesses together, formed this massive conglomerate, and drawn up this beautiful shareholders agreement, and they've issued one of the shareholders uh, preference shares. Firstly, with no rights to it, but preference shares with no rights, which is crazy to start with. And when we unbundled this whole thing and looked at the MOR, the preference shares can't exist. Even though they're written there, they can't exist. So it's like me saying to you, there's a Lamborghini here. I've told you there's a Lamborghini here. You must believe me there's a Lamborghini. But you can see quite clearly that there's no flipping Lamborghini here. So the reality is there's not. This is the MOR. The shareholders agreement is, Gary, telling you there is one when you can see that there isn't. So the fact that we've mentioned preference <coughs> shares in a shareholders agreement means nothing because the MOR says different. Conflict in, in a, uh, articles of association. This is another one of our clients we just met with recently. So here they've got preemptive rights. So Brett's a shareholder, I'm a shareholder, and Jody's a shareholder. If Brett sells his shares, Dave and I have got the first right to buy as shareholders. This agreement says the directors have got preemptive rights. But the directors aren't shareholders. They're employees. They actually don't have any shares. I employed Bob as a, as a director. He comes into the business. He's working there. Brett wants to sell his shares. And I'm the other shareholder with Jody. And I can't buy. That, oh, the employee gets to buy. How dogs that? It's written in. That's how it works. You have to check these things, guys. All right, so this is just a summary of what I've said. But basically, your memorandum of incorporation supersedes any agreement that you've got in place. So you have to check it. All right, so these are some of the things that you would get on a normal shareholders agreement. They firstly, they're private documents dealing with private issues. They are not registered with CRPC. They are not public. They're in your drawer. The special features include director and shareholder meetings and resolutions. So how do you have your meetings? How do you conduct your meetings? How regularly do you do them? There's shareholders discussions. There's directors discussions. Sometimes the shareholder is a director. Sometimes they're not. Director and shareholder quorum and conduct. This is for voting. Your business now needs to make a material decision. You have to call a meeting. How many people have to attend the meeting for the meeting to proceed? You've got four shareholders. Can two people attend and have a meeting on their own and make decisions that impact the other two without them being there? Is the quorum a number of hands, show of hands? In other words, representation as a shareholder? Or is a quorum the percentage of, of, of ownership of the shares. We've seen incidences where minority shareholders have been able to form a quorum, okay, and voting rights is 75% of the votes that are present. So just think of this just as an irony. Let's say Brett, Dave, and I own 5% shares in the company, okay, and you own the other 85%. And our quorum is a show of hands. So the three of us get together and we say we're having a meeting and you say, I can't make the meeting. 
or we can still have it because it's a show of hands and there's three of us, only one of you, and you own 85% of the shares. And now all we need at the meeting is two of us to agree to do something and it's going to affect everybody, including you and your 85% Jen. Can happen, depending what your documents say. So you've got to check that. Transfer of shares and preemptive rights. Obviously, we've spoken about that, but this is on a voluntary basis. This is where I am wanting to sell. I'm wanting to retire. I want to sell or whatever it might be, or I want to just sell because I want to do something else. Okay. There's voluntary dispositions. How does that affect you and your business? Do you have to offer the shares to your partners? Yes or no? How does that work? Distributions, there would be things like dividends. When dividends are paid, how do dividends get paid? Do you have a dividend policy in place in your business? If you're retiring from your business, how are you going to exit? Are you selling your business? If you are, who's the buyer? How are they going to pay? Is your business saleable? If those questions can't be answered, then the next one would be is, all right, I'm going to retain my shares in the business, but I'm going to be retiring. Therefore, I'm no longer an employee, so I don't get a salary now. I only get a dividend. Because I'm a shareholder. So all I get is dividends. Is there a dividend policy in your shareholders agreement? Because what's stopping the remaining shareholders to draw all the money out of the business as salaries and bonuses and never pay you one cent dividend? You're sitting at 65 and you're going, Hoy. and they're going, oh, we worked so hard. Here's our bonus. And you go, hold the boat. I need a dividend. No, 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 we're not paying dividends. We're actually using the money to grow the business this year. We're going to retain the earnings. No, but I need a dividend. I'm on pension. Well, I'm sorry you're on pension, but that's not what we want to do. We want to do something else. So you have to have a dividend policy in place. The number of people we've seen with no dividend policy in place is frightening. It's like saying, I'm going to retire on dividends, but I don't have a dividend policy. Well, then you're not retiring. Financing and share all the loans we've spoken about. I come along tag-along clauses. If the senior partner or majority shareholder wants to sell, can the minority shareholder come along? Can they also sell? Do they have to sell? Need to have those in your agreements. Dispute resolutions. If there's a boxing match between partners, how is it being dealt with? An expert? An arbitrator? If it's a legal matter, is it an accountant? Or is it a lawyer? If it's a legal matter, is it an accountant or a lawyer? Who's, who's doing what, where, and how? How's this going to work? How do we choose one? If we don't agree on the same one, what happens? So you choose your lawyer, I choose my lawyer. Now we're in stalemate. Well, how are we going to get this thing resolved? We've got to choose an independent one. Okay, well, who's going to choose the independent one? Confidentiality again. Uh, oh, sorry, deemed offers, another very important one, which is insolvency and death. You get declared insolvent. It's a deemed offer. Your sales, your shares are up for sale. Off you go. You can't be insolvent and still be a shareholder or a director. How's that being dealt with? When you die, how's it being dealt with? Buy and sell, probably one of the most important shareholder agreements to contemplate. It's a separate shareholders agreement to your normal one. And it deals with the sale of your shares only on death and disability. If you die today, what's happening to your shares? If your partner dies today, what's happening with their shares? There's nothing written by God that's been given to us to tell us when or how 
we are going to die. No way. We don't want to speak about it. We don't want to think about it. But people die all the time. You could die driving out of here and have a car crash. You could get COVID and die. You could be walking down the stairs and die. Uh, you could have eaten a breakfast and died, choked on scrambled egg or something. I don't know. But you can die from a million and one things. You could get disabled if you don't die. You're driving down the road at 140 k's an hour because you're a law-abiding citizen and someone else is driving at 160. And then suddenly they sneeze, pick up their phone and text, drop a book or whatever. And they drive over a little thin line on the road about that thick that's made of paint. And they just cross that line and hit you. And you've gone from 160 and 140 to naught instantly. If you're not dead, you're probably disabled. What happens? You're incapable of running a business. You're incapable of representing yourself as an employee or as a director. You're fraught. You're drinking food out of a straw. What happens to your shares? You have to have a buy and sell agreement in place. It gives you a value. How much am I getting for my shares? Okay, so you know what you're getting when you die or get disabled. Your partner knows what they've got to pay if you die or get disabled before then. How are you paying? Are you paying cash or are you taking an insurance policy? How are you doing it? I'll give you a quick example of how dire it can be. Let's say Brett was in business with me and he had a, a business share that was worth 10 million rand. If he died today, I would need to buy his share for 10 million. In the absence of an insurance policy, I'd have to go and earn 16 and a half million rand in earnings, pay tax of six and a half million and give it to SARS, God bless him, to net 10 million in order to pay his wife or estate for the shares. Can you imagine your partner dying, and you've got to find 16 and a half million rands worth of earnings. Sheesh, I'll be working until I die before I've paid for the shares. And then when I die, I've got to try and sell the bloody things. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But people don't contemplate that. But it's a reality. His wife's sitting at home waiting for the money. She needs it as well. It's part of her plan, part of his plan. Another big area that people overlook is sureties. When you walk into the bank needing to borrow money, your business needs money desperately. So you walk in like this, okay? And the bank manager says, have a seat. And you go, no, no, I'm cool like this, thank you. Um, please may I borrow 5 million rand because my business is gonna fold if I don't. Hope none of you are videoing this, by the way. Um, but I need 5 million rand. I need to put some machinery in place in the business in order to get my production up. I'm really battling. And I need to borrow 5 million. They give you a loan agreement. And in that loan agreement is sureties that you have to sign. And you get many different types of sureties. But those sureties that you sign, you sign on behalf of the company and you as the signatory sign personally as well. It's a massive hole in your personal financial plan. And I'll explain to you now why. Joint and several surety. So this is one of the, the key areas. A joint and several surety. 
What this means is, Brett and I went to the bank who wanted to borrow 5 million rand. The bank made the company sign for security for 5 million, but they also made Brett sign for 5 million rand personally, and they made me sign for 5 million personally. So they put 15 million rands worth of security for a 5 million rand loan. They also put make me co-principal debtor. If you look the little words there, co-principal debtor, it's the same thing. So I, I've, it's like I've borrowed the money and Brett's borrowed the money and the business has borrowed the money. That's the one, joint and several surety. You get unlimited sureties where they say the surety is unlimited. So this happens where you've signed a surety for one debt, you sign another surety for another debt, and then later on you sign another debt, but you don't sign surety. But those unlimited sureties still bind you to that first one. There's also no limit on the debt amount. So I've borrowed 5 million, but they can also charge me all the interest, all the legal fees, all the other stuff over and above it as well. The other type of surety um, clause that you'll find is the renunciation of the excussion clause, which in English means that when you die, they do not have to follow the normal route of debt redemption. In other words, when you default, when there's risk or when you die, they don't have to go to the business for the 5 million. They can go straight to you and your estate where all your money is. Your policies have paid out. Your pension funds have paid out. Everything's paid out. Things have been sold. Your business is sold. All the money's in your estate. The executive's busy winding it up. And suddenly the bank come along and say, I'll take that 5 million rand, please. And they take it out of your estate. There's nothing stopping them doing that. So much so, we've been beating this drum for 23 years. In COVID, one of my friends had an overdraft facility in his business of 6 million rand. Because of COVID, the bank's appetite for risk reduced. They took 2 million of his overdraft facility away from him in his business during COVID when he was not trading. Nearly killed him. He had to try to put properties on the market, do all sorts of stuff to try and mitigate that. So his overdraft dropped to 4 million. And they're currently dropping it ever since COVID at 150,000 rand a month, every month. So it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And he's going, I need my facility for my business. And they're going, we're not interested. It's tough. Too much risk. They just take away that, that facility. So just to go back there. Contingent liability plans are put in place in order to protect your estate from your business risk. Why must you use your own after-tax wealth that you've earned to protect debt in the business that you're in partnership with someone else in? It's a massive threat to your financial plan because if you don't have the money in your estate, the actual cash to start with, which you don't want to use anyway, they will sell your assets. Your executor will go to end two assets and put them on auction. Your family home, your cars, whatever you've got will be sold on auction. That's what they do. We see it all the time. And where do you like going shopping for a bargain? On auction. So suddenly you go and buy an 8 million rand house on auction for 5 million. It means that the family have just lost 3 million because their house was sold at a bargain. 
just to cover the debt of 5 million. And then on top of that, SARS says, I oh, hold on, you took 5 million out your estate to pay a third party. I want 20% estate duty, please. There's another 1.25 million rand in estate duty you've got to pay just because you've done that. So if you take the whole consequence, you've got an 8 million rand house plus 1.25 million rands of the estate duty. So you're sitting at 9.250 million rand to settle a debt of 5 million. But in order to have the 9.25 million, you had to earn 16 million rand and pay tax of 6.5 million to net it. That's the crazy thing. When you add up the tax, after tax earnings, wealth in your estate with estate duty, it kills financial plans completely. Yet they, nearly every single person we see, 80% of people we see who have got business debt have not got a contingent liability plan in place. It's crazy. It's like running around without a medical aid and no conjurance. You would never do that. So why on earth would you do this? But people do it all the time. So it's a very simple fix. You put an insurance policy in place on your life in the company's name that the company owns, the company pays for, and the company's the beneficiary. And when you die, the company gets the money and it settles the debt and it releases your estate from the estate obligation with that charity and your estate's protected. It's that simple. Then all we do is we draft an agreement that deals with the policy and the company. It says, when you die, your surviving partner has to use the money to settle the debt and release the surety obligation. If you don't have the agreement, you're in big trouble because then your partner just gets the money in the company, takes it out as salary, and the bank still come to your estate and chaps all the money. You have to have the agreement as well. Okay, we spoke about these. So the results of no contingent liability agreement in place is your personal assets will be used to settle your business debt. Your personal uh, estate could be declared insolvent and there might not be a chance of your executor ever being able to recover that money back from you or from the business, I should say. So your estate could be declared insolvent. Very, very important. You can go do the most phenomenal financial plan all the policies and agreements in the world, if you leave this thing out, it can decimate the entire plan. This also goes to people who have owned property in a company. You've got a commercial property portfolio. And you think, well, don't worry, as long as the rent's paid, the bank will not take the bond. If you've signed personal surety, they will come and take your money. We've had arguments with clients that have said, rubbish, the bank manages my best mate. My kid and his kid go to school together. He's told me it's lacquer. So you, easy, easy, easy fix. Phone the bank manager. Hi, Trevor. It's Gary from Quattro here. I just want to check quickly. That surety that I've signed on the property, um, will you come to my estate? And Trevor says, no, yeah, it's not at all. Your son and my son play cricket together in the same class. You're a lacquer. Oh, no, it'll be fine. So thanks, Trev. That's awesome. Do me a favor. Can you just give that to me in writing, please? And that's where the conversation changes. Because Trevor goes, look, Gary, you know, we can't really do it in writing because, uh, you know, it's actually the guys at head office, the legal guys in risk management. You know, they, they, they don't allow that to happen. Oh, okay. So that surety does exist. 
Yeah, yeah, it does. But you know, we, we probably won't really bollocks. If they've got it in writing that they're going to come and take it, they're going to come and take it. You have to plan for what you've signed for. Okay. So, what's the solution, guys? Very simply put, in financial services, we cannot do our jobs effectively without all of this contractual mucky stuff being done first. We can try, we can sell the policy, we can earn our commission, but it's not done properly. The biggest barrier to entry for a business owner is, I'll get to it, I'm just busy right now, and they never get to it, or all that legal stuff's expensive, I can't afford it right now, I'll do it when I can afford it, and that just never happens. Or the business starts and the partners, I want to put this in. No, I don't want that. I want to put this in. No, I don't want that. They never get to a meeting of the minds, so it just never happens. So we've come up with a solution for all small to medium-sized business owners, and it's called legal pursuit. And effectively what it is, it's a, uh, um, a legal services offering where you, as an entrepreneur, can get in-house legal counsel for 295 grand a month. You own attorney on board. Pick up the phone. You've got a clause you need to get ratified. You've got a contract you need to get drawn up. You've got a question. Advice doesn't cost you one cent. All telephonic and all email advice is for free. Included in the 295. It gives you discounts on all of your agreements, your memorandum of incorporation, your shareholders' agreements. We've done it to make it affordable so that there is no more reason for you to have an excuse to not get the stuff sorted out. You don't have to use us, we don't care. You can use someone else if you want to. If you've got a good attorney that you love and trust, use them. But give us the information so we can look and see what it is you've got and guide you as to what you've got to get fixed. And then you give it to your attorney and we'll work with your attorney. We don't mind. We'll work with your attorney, your accountant. We're more than happy. That's what we do all day, every day. But we've got to make sure there's a meeting of the minds. We found so many professionals have got this ego where they want to protect their little pile. So it's like, I'm the king of the castle and everyone's doing their own little king of the castle, but you as a client are the one that suffers because you're never getting collective RP together to resolve your issue. And we're here for that. We work for you. We want to make sure that the outcome is good for you as the client. We're not interested in the ego of the attorney or the ego of the accountant. We want to get to the nuts and bolts and get the stuff sorted out because when you die or when you're sick, I've got two of my clients right now that are terminal with cancer. I'm the most important thing in their life right now. Out of everybody in their life, I'm the most important thing because I've got that file. I've got the file with the how-to-do manual from A to Z. I know exactly how this is going to play out. I know what money they're going to get, when they're going to get it, what the agreements say, how the business is going to continue going forward, what's the extra strategy. I've got absolutely everything in my file. This DD process will do for you for nothing to start with. doesn't cost you anything. It's to get the ball rolling and to make sure we've done our jobs correctly. And I must tell you, I've been doing this for 23 years. 
I have done buy and sell agreements that are wrong. They're in the market and they're wrong. Because when the Companies Act was introduced in 2011, the game changed. And these clients have still not reviewed the MRIs or the articles. They're still wrong. Yet they're running around absolutely oblivious to the risk. We have to fix this stuff. We have to get on top of this. It's something you can't put behind um, on the back burner. So does your business form part of your retirement plan? It's one of the discussions we're going to be having with you. How does this thing play out? What is your strategy in order to get this effective? Ensuring that you've got a binding buy and sell agreement in place. And when I say binding buy and sell agreements, because it might be invalidated because of your MOI. Your shareholders agreement, is it up to date? If not, let's get it up to date. And is your MOI aligned, MOI aligned with the buy and sell and shareholders agreements? These are just some of the other services that we do in legal pursuits, but just to give you, to give you some examples. So there's due diligence and, and risk management, debt recoveries, dispute resolution, litigation support, HR and uh, uh, consultancy, legal, starting up of a business, merging businesses, listing businesses, delisting businesses, sales of businesses, preparing a buyer's pack or a seller's pack, which we call a deck, in order to present to prospective people. Doing BEE structures, putting BEE structures together, going through all the agreements to make sure that they, they are succinct. Getting all of these measures done. I'll give an example of a BEE structure where there's a massive, massive problem. Company A needs to be owned 30% by African shareholders. So the African shareholder says, I own a company, call it XYZ. XYZ is going to be the shareholder of this company. So you've got a company owning shares in the company. There's nothing in the agreements that precludes the black empowerment company being sold to someone else. So the partner in their mind sells his shares to somebody else who could be a white person. Now, all of a sudden, the black empowerment's gone. It's now owned by another white person. They're going, well, that's averted the whole black empowerment process. What do we do? So we write obligations in to say the black empowerment company, their duty is to remain black empowered. If that company's shares get sold, it's a notifiable transaction that they have to offer the shares that they hold in company A back to the company A shareholders so they can find another black empowerment partner. No one does that. They're all left exposed. So there's a whole lot of stuff. Wills, trusts, forming of trusts. If you've got a trust, we also look at the trust deed to see how it's structured. A trust deed is a how-to-do manual for the trustees. If your trust deed doesn't allow trustees to do certain things, they can't do it. They're not allowed to. If they do it, they're in conflict of their fiduciary duties and will be held personally responsible. So we've got people that have got family trusts that own companies. And you're going, but the trustees aren't allowed to appoint directors for companies. The trustees aren't allowed to sign and borrow money for the company. They can't bond. They can't sell property. They can't do this. They can't do that. If the trustee doesn't allow them to do it, they physically cannot do it. The only thing that they're allowed to do is hold the asset. So all they can do is hold the shares. They can do nothing else. They can't attend meetings, nothing. Crazy. 
but people don't. So we'll go, those are the, some of the value propositions that they have and services that they offer. And that's really it, guys. So I don't know if there are any questions for me or for Trevor. Uh, I don't know if you want to come up, Trev. But um, the floor is yours. So you can ask away as much as you want. And before you ask, answer questions, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you all for attending today and making some time. I hope you learned a little something from today. With Action Coach and with us, one of the most important things that we have on, on our mandate is education. Educating people like you to understand stuff, understand the industries, understand our processes. Because if you understand them, you can trust them. If you can trust them, you can deploy them or employ them or invest in them. But without the knowledge and the understanding, people are running around oblivious to the risks that are out there. And we do put our money where our mouth is because we host these breakfasts and we do them for you for free. There's no cost. And we do this on a regular basis because our industry in particular, not so much Trevor's, but our industries come from a very bad place. There have been ruthless people who have just sold policies till they're blue in the face and ripped the consumer off to a point where firstly, the consumer's got no clue as to what's going on. They sometimes think I'm a travel agent because they phone us asking about airline tickets on their multiplier status. You know, um, the insurance industry has become so complex. You know, when you're doing an interview or, or we're doing a consult with a the client, they're doing this and you're going like, what are you doing? I'm trying to get my steps up while I'm seeing you, you know? Um, <laughs> The, the insurance industry is up on its head. So what we're trying to do is just simplify everything, get people down. <laughs> You've done that. Huh? <laughs> and this as well, watching TV. Babe, what are you doing? Nah, just getting my steps. <laughs> um, but guys, it's, it, it, it is a very real problem that we have. So at Quattro, our, our thing is getting all the noise out. Get the noise out. Let's simplify things and just get down to the grassroots levels. What are we trying to do? We're trying to protect you against risk. Well, let's do that. Let's educate you and put protection mechanisms in place. And hopefully you find value in what we do. And when I say we do stuff for free, we do it for free, but there is hope. There is hope that if we do it for free and you like what we do, you'll engage with us. More importantly, that you will refer us to people like you. Because we need more people like you as clients for us to stay in business. As soon as you stop supporting us, we're gone. So we're all about entrepreneurship, growth, stimulating the economy, employment. And it starts here. It starts with you people. You people have a very important role to play in the South African economy, which is growing your business, creating wealth, and employing people. So you're invited to any one of the other breakfasts that we have, whenever you'd like to attend. The people who invited you will re-invite you. If you'd like to bring friends, family, work colleagues, we don't mind. Bring and come. All right. But thank you for listening.